Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Brown Girls Read podcast. This is your host Aman Tiwana and this is Kathy Thakur and both of us love reading books. On this podcast we bring our favorite books to you and discuss the parts that were most meaningful to us and how we found them interesting or relatable as brown girls. Today we have invited Rishi Reddy, the author of Karma and Other Stories, for a conversation with us. This book is a collection of seven short stories, each of them told from the point of view of an individual from the South Asian diaspora. If you haven't listened to our previous discussion of the book, go check that out first. Hey Rishi, welcome to Brown Girls Read. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I am so happy to be here. Thanks so much Rishi. We enjoy reading all of the short stories in your book, especially because the characters seem so close to reality coming from a South Asian culture. So today we wanted to invite you and get to know your journey, your inspiration and your favorite reads. Before we begin, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I um was born in India. I was born in Hyderabad. And when I was very young, we, my family moved to uh, the United Kingdom and we lived in London and a couple of other towns um, in the UK. And then we moved to the United States and we landed in Los Angeles first. But soon after that, we were moving every couple of years. And, you know, we lived in Philadelphia and Morgantown, West Virginia and St. Louis and Shreveport, Louisiana. And my parents finally settled down in Wichita, Kansas and were there for 24 years. That's where I went to high school. And I was an only child. So it was a pretty lonely type of childhood to be moving around all these different places as an immigrant family. And books were my big escape. So that was you know, what I found constant comfort in. I had a little brown cocker spaniel and I had my books. So that was sort of how I survived childhood. And then um, that love of literature became part of you know my college experience and my degree in English lit. And that, that's a little bit about me and what what led me to writing. So that's amazing. But what was your favorite author as a child? What did you read the most? One book that I loved that I read over and over was uh, The Phantom Tollbooth by Jules Pfeiffer. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Many people today, I think, are not as familiar with it as they were, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. But it's just a it's a, a book about a boy that goes to a fantasy world where words are real things and numbers are real things. And it's this whole play on, you know, Digitopolis and Dictionopolis. That was, I used to read that book over and over again. <laughs> oh, nice. When we were reading your book, I felt that all the characters were very real to me. Did you take inspiration for these from your life, from all the people you met? Where did you get the inspiration? Every story was inspired a slightly different way. So, you know, some stories were inspired just by reading an article in the newspaper. So Justice Shivaram Murthy, I got the idea for it because I read a little snippet about a fella in Chicago who had recently immigrated from India and he had become very angry that in a McDonald's he had eaten fries that had been fried in animal fat and he didn't realize that and it led to a suit. And the news snippet was about the judge in the court who didn't understand the seriousness of, of how this person was looking at that incident and just threw the case out of court. So I thought, like, what kind of person would bring suit for something like that? 
and you know that the story followed. You know, I imagined him to be an older man and who had a real sense of recent loss from you know his wife. Other stories in there were because there were things in my family that really disturbed me. You know, that I felt in my extended family that something wasn't fair or it wasn't right, and I just wanted to state my viewpoint on that. You know, so the elderly in the story Bangles or the way that um, in Devadasi or in in Validity of Love, the way that I had seen some of the arranged marriages play out, you know, something bothered me about them. So I wanted to just be able somewhere to state my opinion on what was happening. And the writing was a way to do that. So each of the stories came from a slightly different place. And also we noticed that a lot of stories have open endings as well. So was that something that you, you know, wanted to happen before you started writing or was it just eventually evolved into something like that later on? Yeah, Kathy, it's really interesting you call them open endings because I don't think of them that way. I think of every plot line as having, there's a psychological journey that the character goes through and then there's a what happens next journey that the character goes through, you know, the strict, this happened, then this happened. And in the stories, I feel like I ended each story at a point where the psychological issue is resolved. You know, that sort of subconscious yeah. issue is resolved. And so I could leave it. You know, then I just, I stopped writing. I never thought of it as like, oh, I didn't finish the story ending or the plot line. I always felt that the psychological ending is the one that brings emotional satisfaction. So that's a, it's an interesting way to state it, but perhaps they are open endings. I never thought of it that way before. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Now that you think about it, you're right. Like, you know, some sort of like psychological ending was there for sure. But yeah, like physically, we didn't know like, you know, what the character was going to do. It was always like, okay, so this is her way out of this, but I don't know if she took it or not. I think it also comes from our experience of reading novels where we want more more concrete ending <laughs> and short yeah. stories are like okay you can imagine what happened next <laughs> you can imagine yeah when you think of Shankar like looking through the uh, the window of that restaurant and he's sort of resolved himself to who he is that he is a mild person but he feels deeply about cooking and he's said goodbye to his brother you know I felt like I didn't have to say well of course He's going to open a restaurant, you know, I, I felt like I didn't have to say that. But it's a good, it's a yeah. very interesting point that you're raising. <laughs> <laughs> From all of your stories in this book, is there one that's personal favorite? Well, I do love karma because of how mild Shankar is and because the birds are treated almost as importantly as the humans are, at least in his mind, that's what they are you know, his worldview. So I do love that about that particular story. In Devadasi, I wrote that story kind of in a very different place. The book had already been sold and accepted. And I felt like there was something that I wanted to say about my teenage experiences in India. And it was definitely something that influenced me in my growing up years. So I wrote that story much more quickly than I wrote the others. And I think that there's a rawness to that, that the other stories don't have. It's a little less polished, but the emotion is a little more raw too. So that story stands out to me as well. I love that you guys talked about it at the, on your podcast because I thought, 
oh my gosh, these guys really understood this. You know, so many other people that I had. We grew up there, Rishi. So we know what you were talking about. Oh my gosh, I just love that. When I was hearing that, when I was hearing the two of you speak about that, I thought, wow, they got it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's my favorite story as well. The Devdasis. I love it. I actually love bangles a lot. I, that story is really about my grandmother. You know, I just, I, I ha, it has that place as well. I mean, not that my grandmother is li- exactly like that by any means. She was not. But so much of her is in that story. And you can see like there's a commonality between people in that stage when they move from India to US only because they have nowhere else to be. Like That lack of agency is what stood out to me the most. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and we have seen it with our grandparents as well. They have tried to, or at least, you know, taken that step before. So it was, it was amazing. It was too real to get into that circumstance and get a closer look at that. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space. So you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. I recently joined as a member and you can too. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Did you choose the title of the book and the cover as well? I did choose the title partially because I love the, you know, I just love the word karma. And I also love it in terms of like, well, is it a story that we tell ourselves to about our own lives, about why something happened to us? And so to say karma and other stories, I felt like had a certain, you know, not everyone would get it, but that a lot of people would get that double meaning there. And I did not choose the cover. That was by a very talented person at, at Echo, um, who's still there, um, Alison Saltzman. And, um, but she, I think, um, she understood what it was I was trying to say with that story in particular. So she's able to hone in on that. It's a close in of a Islamic tapestry. Oh, and I don't know where she found it, but it was something that, you know, she was able to find that is already. It's very beautiful. It's very nice. Yeah. And I agree. And um, I hope I can tell her one day <laughs> again. That you said yeah, I love the title of the book as well. It just creates some sort of, you know, like mystery to the book, like karma and other stories. What is, what is that? <laughs> and also yeah. given that karma is your favorite story, it makes sense right. to me. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. True. And Rishi, yeah. we were talking earlier how your new novel has come out during this last year. I was very curious to find out what's the difference of process between when you write short stories and when you write a whole full-fledged 400-page novel? Yeah, it was very, very different. So um, this, the short stories took a lot of time to write as a group. They probably took about 10 years and they were an exercise for me in learning how to write. I mean, I consciously wanted to make a protagonist that I hadn't written about before. So I chose the teenage boy or the teenage girl or the elderly man or, you know, the middle-aged woman. But the novel, you know, came to me as an idea that I had long ago in law school. And when I sat down to start it, I didn't realize that I was going to be doing 13 years of research and writing on this piece. And the time that I started writing, I still had access to the people who had lived this life. So it's set in Southern, far Southern California on the border with Mexico. And it's set in the 1910s and 20s, which and follows a family of Punjabis mostly who are um, 
you know, they are the, the recent immigrants from Punjab, which is still part of British India. But they also have a friendship with these recent Japanese immigrants who are on the farm next door. And the, and the young men who are involved have romances with Mexican women who have just crossed the border. So it was a multicultural story. And it was based in the xenophobia of the times. And it took a lot of research, which was very different from the short stories. So I got lost in the research. But what was felt momentous to me in the novel, which didn't feel that way to the short stories is because I had, when I first started researching it, um, which was, you know, in the early 2000s, I still had access to the children of these first immigrants. You know, they had lived these lives with their parents and their parents had told them the stories. And I knew that nobody else had written about it in fiction before. There had been sort of sociology studies about it. I had access to these stories. I felt like nobody else was writing about it. Nobody else was going to have access to them. And I wanted to get the story right. So I felt this great weight around the novel that I didn't feel around the short story. And I really buried myself in trying to give an accurate depiction about what happened to these populations in that time. So all of that got mixed in with, oh my gosh, how am I going to carry myself through this plot? How am I going to weave these four separate stories together to make one coherent storyline? So it was a very different experience for me. It's very difficult. But anyway, I'm on the other side of it now. (laughs) And you are right. I have never heard of a story around this topic. No novel so far. Well, this is why I felt like it was such an important story to tell. And as as South Asians become more and more a part of the fabric of the United States, I mean, we were a part of a fabric of the United States 100 years ago, but because of the way this population was excluded and then prevented from immigrating more, you know, we're the perpetual foreigner. So I wanted to show where that began. It began 120 years ago. How can a population be the perpetual foreigner for 120 years. You know, it's ridiculous. And yet this is the portrayal in media and, you know, in the psyche of the United States. And of course, we should go to talk about the Chinese that have suffered under the being the perpetual foreigner for even longer, you know, for close to 150 years, if not a little longer than that. But this is, this was something that I wanted to, to show that Here's the story of who was here in 1910 and even before that. We can't be the foreigner. And yet, why are we painted as the perpetual foreigner? Yeah, I learned about how California got named like the golden state because there was a lot of gold mining happening here at one point years ago. And how many Asians were called to work as labor here. But then later, they had all these like immigration bans, like they cannot have families here. They cannot bring their families here which kind of forced them to go back. And there's so much horrible history around this, around trying to keep non-white people out of this country. Whereas when you look at America, everyone is immigrant other than natives. Everyone else is immigrants. But it's like horrible how the families of immigrants are telling other people to go back. Absolutely. I mean, and that's what I wanted to show because I feel many... um folks whose families have lived here for many generations, you know, regardless of their race, don't know that story. For some reason, it's not really taught in the schools. I I can't tell you how many people I've 
spoken with about Passage West that told me, wow, I never knew that we had those exclusionist policies. All of this was a hidden history that people don't talk about a lot. And I just wanted to get it right because I had access to the people who had lived it in that time. And many of those families that I was lucky enough to have met, you know, I sat around their dinner tables. They told me their stories about their childhood. And a lot of those people have passed on now, you know, in the matter of the last 10 years while I was writing the book. Thank you so much for writing this story, though. I think oh, it's very important <laughs> yeah. for us to bring our voices forward because nobody else is going to do that for us. Yeah, nobody else is going to do yeah. that for us. Do you have any new books or any new projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, Kathy, I'm kind of like, I, I was just telling, telling them on how hard it was to uh, write during this past year, both because it's, you know, when your book is first out in the world, it's like your baby is like walking around out in the world and you don't know how, you know, very anxious about how it's doing. But then with the, with COVID, I mean, it was almost impossible to stay on focused on a task. You know, I like to write for two or three hours in, in the morning if I can before I start my day job. So um, I have, you know, an idea that is swimming around in there that I've made some notes about, about multiculturalism and and about climate change, the way that we're losing so much of what has been part of our planet. So it's a mixture of, of these themes. So it's in there. I'm working on it, but it's going slow. Yeah, that sounds like a very interesting topic, actually. And is the well, climate hope- part coming from your uh, day job? It, it absolutely is. <laughs> and it's been something I've wanted to write about for a long time. I'm the, I, Kathy, I was telling uh, Daman that I'm the director of environmental justice for the state of Massachusetts Environmental oh, wow. Executive Office. So I've, I've done environmental work for 27 years or so. So wow. it's the first time that I'm going to actually try to take something on like that. Wow, that'll be so, so interesting. I'm so excited to read it. You should get it out soon. <laughs> <I'll try. laughs> it's nice to know to hear that reaction i'll try <laughs> make use of the extra time rishi you have so much extra time <laughs> <laughs> i know, I know. <laughs> so uh we're also a book podcast so we always ask our guests you know what they're reading right now so what are you reading right now I am reading a novel a, a book of essays called braiding sweetbread it's a beautiful set of essays about the Native American view of the land and the way that how we are essentially stewards of the land and then the land gives back to us and we're in this symbiotic, almost loving relationship with the land. And a book of poetry by Kiran Kapoor that's called Women in the Waiting Room. I keep getting that name. It's braiding sweetgrass. I must be hungry. Like I'm saying sweetgrass. <laughs> it's braiding sweetgrass. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting how you changed it to sweetbread. <laughs> and before we end our discussion for the day, is there something you would want to say to our listeners? I just love the idea of this podcast. And I love, you know, the book group that you run because... There's so many Desi writers and readers out there, and it's really important that we get our stories told and that they're told by us. And I know this is a common thread in this you know, moment of racial awakening in our country. But even in that moment of racial awakening you know, and reckoning, South Asian voices are somehow lost. You know, we get 
glommed together under Asian American. It's sort of like the monolithic other. There's no distinctions between people when in fact, you know, South Asians have a very distinct history separate from other groups in Asia. We have a unique colonial history for sure. The way that we interact with the English language for sure. I mean, we've certainly adopted it and made it our own. I mean, we were speaking English in India before we were speaking it here in the United States, for instance. And I feel like it's really important that we don't accept mainstream media's perception of us. And we don't agree to being sidelined in the way that we often are. We're even about our, our vice president, you know, how, how little her South Asian roots are talked about versus her other ethnic you know, identification. So I just want to say that that's I, that I love this idea and I love what you all are doing and that I hope people hear that message out there. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. This gives us so much encouragement. You know. <laughs> <laughs> this was our discussion with Rishi Reddy about her book, her stories, her inspiration. And after hearing from her, we are now so excited to read her book, Passage West, next. And I'm also excited to read her future work. Yeah, that sounds promising. But for now, for our next episode, we are reading Unfinished by Priyanka Chopra. And we really hope you'll be reading with us. And I really hope it reaches Priyanka Chopra. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until then, keep listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Brown Girls Read Podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a 5-star rating and a comment. You can support us at anchor.fm slash browngirlsread slash support. Your support will allow us to continue this podcast and bring more episodes to you. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on Instagram, browngirlsreadpod and browngirlsread1 on Twitter. If you have book recommendations for us, you can leave us a comment or message on our social media. And you can also subscribe to us on YouTube for more content.